Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The religion of Jainism is known as a religion that has very extreme ascetical practices that can sometimes appear shocking to some people, especially to some Westerners. But this is often a sensationalist way of talking about or looking at Jainism. In general, the information that people have about Jainism is usually the practices and images of monks and sometimes nuns doing extreme ascetical practices. And this is not how the majority of Jainas, the lay people, actually relate to their religion. Most of Jainas are not monks or nuns and they live lives that aren't too dissimilar from the rest of us. That isn't to say that the often highlighted practices of the monks aren't an important part of the religion, it is, but I think it's healthy if we reverse some of the sensationalist rhetoric that often accompanies discussions about Jainism, and instead explore this ancient Indian religion from a broader, more comprehensive perspective. So with all of this in mind, what is Jainism? Jainism is a religion with origins in India. It stands alongside other traditions from the region, like Hinduism and Buddhism, as one of the so-called Dharmic religions. While not as large in numbers as its sibling traditions, Jainism has been a significant and important factor in the spiritual and philosophical history of India, as well as in the contemporary world, and it has been around for a very long time. From a historical perspective, it is often said that Jainism originates with a figure known as Mahavira, who lived and taught in northeastern India in ancient times. 
The dating of Mahavira's life, just like for the Buddha, is quite contested, but it is generally agreed that the two great figures lived at about the same time, Mahavira being the Buddha's older contemporary. A common idea is that Mahavira lived during the 5th century BC, perhaps roughly between 499 to 427 BC. It's also significant that Mahavira and the Buddha lived in the same region of northeastern India and thus share a common context in various different ways. We talked about this period briefly in my previous video about the Vedas. It's a very vibrant time that gave birth to many significant developments. The old Brahmanical uh, Vedic ritualistic tradition was being challenged by the so-called Shramana movements of northeastern India. The Shramana movement consisted of ascetic individuals who taught things like karma, samsara, and liberation, and who were either an offshoot of the Vedic religion or a separate tradition. There is disagreement among scholars about this. In any case, many of these Shramana movements directly challenged certain key features of the Vedic cult, including the authority of the Vedas themselves as well as things like the certain aspects of the caste system and its focus on ritual performance. These non-Vedic Shramana movements include Buddhism and also, indeed, Jainism. Both the Buddha and Mahavira appeared as counter-movements to the Brahmanical tradition, rejecting the Vedas as primary scripture as well as certain aspects of the caste system, instead presenting a new vision of how to reach liberation or moksha from the cycle of rebirths. Now this is one way of presenting the origins of Jainism, with Mahavira being its quote-unquote founder. But this is not actually how Jainists themselves understand their religion or its history. In the Jain tradition, Mahavira is only the last in a long line of divine teachers known as Tirthankaras. Much like the other Dharmic religions, they see the universe as eternal, always having existed and always will exist, being made up of continuous cycles of one billion years each. And during each of these cycles, there are 24 so-called Tirthankaras, divine teachers, who teach on the Jain path, Mahavira being the 24th and last in the current cycle. So, according to Jainists themselves, Jainism wasn't founded by Mahavira per se, but has actually always existed, being taught continuously by these divine teachers over time and in these different cycles. But in any case, Jainism, as we know it, is definitely connected to the historical figure of Mahavira and the teachings that he is said to have relayed to his followers. The life of Mahavira himself is a difficult topic, however. Indeed, the only sources that we have are relayed in Jain scriptures known as Agamas, but these scriptures, and thus the stories about Mahavira, are only accepted by one of the two major branches of Jainism, and thus aren't universally accepted. What we can say with certainty is that Mahavira is considered to have become an ascetic at some point in his life, attained liberation or enlightenment, and then starting to teach this true path to enlightenment to his devoted followers, including 11 primary disciples known as Ganadaras, who then were sort of responsible for keeping their teacher's teachings alive after he died. From this point, Jainism has continued to develop and change over time, just like any other religious tradition. 
Over the last 2,000 years since Mahavira's life, quite a few things have happened, of course, and the situation can be quite complicated. While there are certain teachings or, or features of the religion that is sort of universally accepted, at least to some degree, Jainism is divided into various sub-branches and different schools of thought that can have different perspectives on how the religion should be understood. The two major branches of the religion consist of the Svetambaras and the Digambaras. The Svetambaras being in about an 80% majority today. The main difference between these two branches regard the ascetical practices of the monks and nuns. The Svetambaras wear white clothing, whereas the Digambara monks wear nothing at all, being completely naked. Both support their doctrines based on the perceived teachings of Mahavira, but disagree on how they should be understood. And this is another point where they differ. The Svetambaras accept the previously mentioned Agamas as legitimate scriptures, whereas the Digambaras don't. As this division happened in ancient times, they have of course developed in different directions in various other ways over the millennia as well, even if they do share some of the core features of their religion generally. And within these major branches, there are smaller sub-branches and schools of thought in these branches as well, which makes it even more complicated, but that will have to wait. So before I bore you too much with all these technicalities, let's get into an actual discussion about Jaina philosophy and theology. Now, what do Jainas actually believe? Now, because they are a so-called Dharmic religion, Jainism shares a lot of commonalities and features with its sibling religions like Hinduism and Buddhism, features that come probably from its origins as a so-called Shramana movement. This includes a belief in the idea of reincarnation, where the human soul is reborn after death into a new body in a constant cycle of rebirths known as samsara. They also share the doctrine that the ultimate goal of existence is to be freed from this cycle of rebirths and reach liberation, known as moksha. Connected to this, they also hold very strongly to the doctrine or the idea of karma. Karma is a famous concept around the world and can briefly be explained as a universal law that every action has a corresponding reaction. In other words, everything we do will have an effect on future experiences, including morality. So our good or bad actions in this life, because of the accumulation of karma, will determine the nature of future reincarnations. If I'm good, I'll have a pleasant rebirth. If I'm bad, I'll have an unpleasant rebirth. All the so-called dharmic faiths share this idea of karma, but this discussion can often become oversimplified. While they all share, as I said, this idea of karma, of, of the process of, of sort of action and reaction, these religions can sometimes actually understand what karma is and how it functions in quite different ways. In Jainism, and in contrast to Buddhism and Hinduism, karma is actually seen as a kind of material substance. There are, you could say, karma particles that get stuck to things when you perform actions or do good or bad deeds. And this is quite different from the ideas about karma in the other religions, Hinduism and Buddhism, where karma is often more psychological or abstract. But this idea of the material nature of karma becomes very important for the further ideas of Jaina philosophy. 
And the basic worldview of Jainism can also sometimes be quite different from the other religions. Now, I don't want to get too comparative, but I think it can be quite helpful in this particular context. Jainism differs from Vedantic philosophy in Hinduism, which posits that there is a single absolute reality called Brahman, and in Advaita Vedanta in particular, that reality is identical to all of the world, a kind of monism. It also differs from much of Buddhism, which teaches that there is no fixed nature or essence to anything, that everything is impermanent and empty, at least in uh, Mahayana Buddhism. Jainism conceives of the world as fundamentally dualistic, consisting of two completely different realities, jiva, which is spirit or soul, and ajiva, which means matter. The jiva is the true spirit or soul of everything that exists, and each has its own jiva. The jiva is blissful, consciousness, and powerful. But unlike in Vedanta, where the soul or self is ultimately one and kind of universal, there is no such idea in Jainism at all. It's not a monism, but a strict dualism where the multiplicity of jivas is final. There isn't some universal Atman like in, in, in Vedanta, for example. Every soul is a completely individual soul. And each jiva, each pure soul, is bound up with matter, ajiva, which in a way is also identical with karma, as we'll see. The material substance of karma is what is stuck to the soul and determines the nature of one's life and experiences. And it is from this basic idea of the pure jivas being bound by karmic matter that all of Jain practices and beliefs flows and develops. The goal for a Jaina, a practitioner of Jainism, is to free or purify his jiva, his soul, as much as possible from karmic matter. Now for lay people, this simply means to live as good of a life as possible and get rid of karma as much as possible so that they can get a pleasant rebirth in the next life. But from a more absolute perspective, the ultimate goal of Jainism, which the monks and nuns seek out, is to ultimately be completely freed from all karmic matter and through that reach liberation or enlightenment. And the person who has, or the soul I should say, who has reached this liberation is known as a jina, which is actually where the word Jainism comes from. Through the principles and practices of Jainism, as taught by jinas like Mahavira, the person can purify his soul of karmic matter. And while the principles of Jainism are of course complex, the core features are sometimes divided into three main principles, Ahimsa, Aparigraha, and Anekantavada. The first term, Ahimsa, means non-violence, and is perhaps the most famous and indeed central feature of Jainism. While Ahimsa is an idea that also exists in certain forms in both Hinduism and Buddhism, it is never as central there as it is in Jainism. The idea of non-violence towards all living things, human, animal, and even plants, is such a central feature of this religion that it governs all other practices. Hurting or using violence to cause suffering for another living being is the kind of action that produces the most and most negative amount of karmic matter. It thus becomes essential for the process of purifying the jiva to not practice any violence. And Jainism is here different from that other shamanic religion, Buddhism, which also has nonviolence as, as an often important aspect. 
So whereas in Buddhism, it is the intention of the action that determines the karmic consequences, in Jainism, intention isn't important, or at least not as important. So whereas in Buddhism, if you accidentally step on an ant, you will not get any, at least any serious karmic consequences for that. In Jainism, it really doesn't matter. To Jainas, it doesn't matter if I intended to step on that ant. It's still violence, nonetheless, and will garner you bad karma. This idea that intention doesn't determine karmic consequences is the reason that the measures taken by Jainas to avoid any violence can seem quite extreme, even compared to a religion like Buddhism. For lay people, and thus for most Jains, this simply means avoiding violence as much as one can, to not use violence intentionally against any creature, either mentally, verbally, or physically. Uh, but it also means in, sort of avoiding any professions that would include any such violence or being implicated in any such violence. This also means that the majority, at least, of Jainas historically has kept a vegetarian diet. For monks and nuns, however, the rules and regulations are a lot more strict. Many people have seen images of some Jain monks wearing cloths over their mouths. This is in order to avoid accidentally breathing in any insects and hurting them. Some Jain monks will also gently swipe the ground before them when they walk in order to avoid stepping on any small animals. And not only do monks and nuns keep a vegetarian diet like the lay people, they can't even cook food for themselves. Because cooking food would involve fire and other measures that could potentially harm microscopic life forms. So, much like in a religion like Manichaeism, it is often the duty of the lay people to cook food for the monks and nuns, so that the latter aren't implicated in the violence of the cooking. So while most Jainas are simply expected not to intentionally hurt any creatures, the monks and nuns must avoid even accidentally hurting any living thing. This is in fact one of the so-called five great vows or mahavratas of the monks and nuns, which are number one, strict non-violence in thoughts, words, and deeds, number two, an absolute truthfulness, in other words, no lying, number three, non-stealing, number four, an absolute celibacy, and five, non-possession. And that last vow, non-possession, is pretty important as it nicely segues into the second Jain principle, aparigraha, meaning non-attachment. This principle is pretty self-explanatory. One is to avoid attachments to material things, and for monks and nuns in particular, and as the fifth vow suggests, this means that they can't own any possessions at all. Because material possessions will bind the soul to this world of matter and be a hindrance on the path to purifying the jiva or soul. This doctrine is also the source of one of the main differences between the two branches of the religion, the Svetambaras and the Digambaras. If you remember, the Svetambaras wear white clothing while the Digambaras are naked. As you might have guessed, the Digambaras believe that the Svetambara are violating the law of non-possession by wearing and thus owning clothes. Finally then, there is perhaps the most unique of Jainism's main principles, which is Anakantavada, meaning something like many-sidedness or literally non-one-sided. This is a principle that is quite complicated and has a very deep intellectual history, but it means, in essence, that reality and its various aspects can always be viewed from various different perspectives that can all simultaneously be correct. 
it is a kind of rejection of any kind of absolutism or claim that there is one doctrine that is absolutely true, because everything can be said to be true from one perspective and not true from another. Now, what is often used as an allegory here is the very famous story about the elephant standing in a pitch dark room. There's an example that's been used in many different traditions in history, including by the Buddha himself and by various Sufis. And so the example goes like this. There is an elephant standing in a pitch dark room, and then there are three men who are trying to explain what the elephant is simply by touching it. So one of the men will grab the, the leg and say that it's something like a tree. Uh, another man will grab the, the uh, trunk of the uh, elephant and will say it's something like a snake, and so on. It is only the enlightened jina, like Mahavira, who can see the elephant for what it is. A vision that includes all the perspectives of the different men, because all of them were right in one sense, but failed to see the entire picture. One man only felt the leg and, and thus saw the elephant from one particular perspective, another saw it from the perspective of the trunk, and none of them were incorrect, but they also didn't have the full picture, which included all of these truths. The Jainists believe that all things in the world have an infinite amount of attributes and can always be viewed from various different perspectives. This allowed them to have a rather unique position when it comes to the sort of doctrinal discussions and debates with other schools of thought. So the absolutist doctrine of Advaita Vedanta, for example, is right from one perspective. It's, it's right in one sense, but it's also not right from another perspective. Buddhism, similarly, in their affirmation of the emptiness of all things, are also correct from one perspective, even though they and Vedanta may appear to be completely contradictory. And yet from another perspective, the Buddhists are also incorrect. And anything in the world can be seen in this way. From one perspective, I certainly exist, while from another perspective, I certainly don't. The Jainas refuse to affirm any claim as absolutely true, but sees this as the greatest sin. All things can always have multiple perspectives that can sometimes even be contradictory. Now, this shouldn't be seen as a kind of relativism per se. It's, it's not a nihilism. The Jainas do affirm that there is a kind of absolute truth, but one that only the enlightened genus can see, and one that incorporates all the various perspectives. Now, this doctrine of Anakantavada is often used today as a tool for creating religious tolerance. For example, Gandhi himself is said to have been quite influenced. I think he stated himself that he was influenced by this idea in his perspective on religious differences. And while it hasn't necessarily been used in this way historically, it's often actually been used in very polemical ways against other schools of thought, it's still very significant as it is a developed philosophical system to deal with the inevitable many-sidedness to any debates and any kind of discussion about the nature of the world. In a way, all of these philosophical or theological principles are intimately connected to the practical aspects of the religion, some of which have been briefly touched upon already. We have seen that the ultimate goal for the jaina is to purify the jiva, the soul, from karmic matter. And this is done by rejecting the material world to various degrees, as well as practicing varying forms of asceticism. One is to renounce all worldly things and instead live a life that cultivates the pure spirit within. And as we've seen, this can mean quite different things depending on if you're a layperson or a monk or a nun. 
in general, Jainism can be seen as a religion that puts a major emphasis on asceticism. And while ascetical traditions are, of course, very common in other religions, including Hinduism and Buddhism, I'm going to generalize a little bit and say that Jainism is probably the religion where the more extreme forms of asceticism is the most prominent, especially for monks and nuns. One can purify the jiva by following the rules and principles laid down by Mahavira and the other Tirthankaras, the divine teachers of history. For monks and nuns, this means following the so-called great vows that we talked about earlier. Now, for regular Jainas, the lay people, this means following a very similar, although less strict, list of five small vows, which is one, non-violence, to not deliberately hurt any creature, Number two, which is truthfulness, to tell the truth and to be honest, pretty similar. Number three, which is non-stealing. Four, sexual chastity, whereas for monks it's complete celibacy. And number five, non-attachment. Following these vows will help the person on the long path to liberation. In the words of Jeffrey D. Long, quote, The Jain path, both in its early stage, as represented in the Anuvratas, and at more advanced levels, as reflected in the Mahavratas, is a kind of roadmap for the soul to the realization of its own pure nature. But again, for the monks and nuns, this means something quite different than for the regular person, and they live their lives according to much stricter ascetical principles. Not even accidentally hurting any creature, not having any possessions whatsoever, living in complete celibacy, fasting for long periods of time, all to remove karmic matter from the soul as much as possible. Jain practice also includes different forms of meditation as well as bhakti or personal devotion. This is an often overlooked part of this religion, but devotional practices and devotional worship is in fact a very central part of the daily lives of most Jainas in the world. This can be a little surprising to some, especially since Jainism is indeed a non-theistic religion. This means that it denies the existence of any omnipotent creator god. Despite this, however, there are many elaborate and beautiful Jain temples across India. This devotional practice can take different forms, but it often involves, much like in Hinduism, the presence of a murti, or image, to which worship is devoted. Now, this isn't universally accepted in Jainism. There are some internal groups that deny the worship of images completely, while to others it is a central part of their religious practice. Unlike Hinduism, however, whose images displays various deities, the murtis of Jainism represents different jinas, or in other words, enlightened beings like Mahavira, for example. As we've talked about, Jainism is divided into various branches and schools of thought. The most major division within Jainism is that between the Svetambaras and the Digambaras, but even within these two groups, things are quite diverse and complicated and complex, as is always the case when we talk about things like this. Historically, Jainism has been very much isolated to the Indian subcontinent, the Svetambaras being especially prominent in the Gujarat region and the Digambaras in places like Rajasthan and in southern India. This isolation has been in part because of the inability for monks and teachers to travel long distances without inflicting himsa or violence on unsuspecting creatures. But today, the situation has changed quite a bit. Some schools of Jainism have allowed their leaders to travel, and there is now a significant Jain diaspora in places like North America and certain places in Europe. 
as is expected, contemporary developments have led to quite a lot of variation in how Jainists relate to their religion today. Some Jainists today, especially those from diaspora communities, have adopted a very open attitude towards other Dharmic religions like Hinduism, sometimes sharing temples with them and worshipping together. Other Jainists stick to a more traditional way of practicing separately. And this is just one example of how Jainism, just like any other religion, is constantly renegotiating with itself and reacting to huge societal and political changes in India and the wider world. Jainism has always been a minority in India, but it has never ceased to be a very important player and significant influence on the religious landscape of this vast subcontinent. Today, it has evolved into a world religion that exists in many different places around the globe. According to some estimates, there are around 6 million Jainas in the world today. They make up about 2% of India's population. Like its sibling religions of the Dharmic variety, Jainism is a religion with ancient roots. It has a long, complex, and deep history that has inspired and influenced not only other religions in the region like Hinduism and Buddhism, but even people today who are inspired by its strong insistence on non-violence and benevolence towards all living things with which we share this world. Jainism was, and remains, one of the building blocks of India's religious and intellectual culture. I'll see you next time. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.